This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. <laughs> so are you, are you calling? I am. Okay, good. <laughs> Did you shut my video off? No. Oh, yours is off. Yours is off. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Hello, this is Sarah. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> Yes, Billy Hollowell. This is McClure calling. Oh, no, <laughs> Hello, Sarah. Dear Lord, what is wrong with you two? Uh, well, you are the intro of our show today on The Church Boys. How we are needed, you? We needed something it's, to do. It's been a while. I felt a little unloved. You were a little unloved. <laughs> there's, well, the, you know, there's a reason. I... I would love to prank you again. I feel like there's going to be a statute of limitations, though. On I don't even know if that term makes sense. I think we have to wait a long time before we do it again. I need to come up with something really good. Well, I mean, the last one was really, really good, and I don't think that it's ever going to happen again because I am now in like hyper alert when I get a strange phone call from a strange number and I hear a strange voice on the other end. So thank you for making me super vigilant. You're welcome. You should really be aware of who's calling you, and I think we've helped you. It's it's actually very Christian of us. <laughs> yes, we're we're doing a service. I, I love how you try to make it positive for you and make you look like the good guy, Billy. Typical. Well, you know, I mean, I, Sarah, did you bring your Bible to school today? <laughs> One, I don't go to school. Or and have two, a Bible. The Bible that I own is from you, actually, and I don't know where it is. Yeah, every let's just talk about something. Uh, does, I don't she to allowed to even wait. Is she even allowed to go near Bibles? Uh, well, there was Without a time when she wasn't, but I think we've actually gotten to a point where she won't her finger won't singe if she touches one. <laughs> I I've been trying to get Sarah to read all these I buy Sarah books. I got her a book from um Lee Strobel. It was a really good book, uh, The Case for Faith or The Case for Christ. I can't remember which right. which case. Right. Um and I've been on her case because she has not finished reading it. Did it well, have pictures? I started reading it and then it got okay. With my, for my in my defense, I was trying to read that when I was in Afghanistan, when I was reading like 300 new stories a day. And he, Strobel is a very heavy writer. It's not something that you want to read for enjoyment after you read about people getting blown up. So you know what? We should I call Lee Strobel. I have his. I'm not going to call him, but we should. Are you, you calling? Tell him that too. Are you? Is she calling him fat? <laughs> No, oh. no. Well, you know, the bottom line is, Sarah, you need to find that Bible. And you need to finish Lee Strobel. How, anyway, um, we just wanted to call you to harass you to start the we, show today. I don't know. Chris demanded two, it. Two reasons. One, we needed something to do at the beginning. And two, we noticed that you've been feeling a little or acting. Well, did you what? There was a news story that we had on the on the on the on the blaze yesterday. And it was this MSNBC panel being talked to by uh, the guy, from, uh, Mark Halpern from Bloomberg. And one lady says, they're, they're describing Hillary. And she said, well, she comes across as, well, I don't want to say the word. And then she goes, bitchy. <laughs> Which made us both think of you. 
for whatever reason. I don't know. Oh wow! Aww. Oh wow! You're. I was not even. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so wait, why wait, did no, you no, tell? No, no. no. Why did you tell me Sarah we needed out. to call Sarah? Well, I would. You're calling Sarah out here for something. All right, you two hash it out. Sarah, he just called you a name. Go ahead. I, I didn't Respond. call her a name. I just said well, that I, that I video reminded me. I love when Chris insults me. <laughs> who said no one? Wow. Who who <laughs> loves when Chris insults them? No, I think it's funny because it's like I finally have somebody that I can have these kinds of conversations with and they won't get offended. Like usually <laughs> yeah, you if I say something crying. sarcastic like that to someone else, they're going to be like, oh, my God, I'm so hurt and I'm so upset and my Sir. feelings are squishy. But if I say something like that to Chris, he's like, OK, you're a bitch. <laughs> you know, you're right. For an, no, wait, ugly, wait. For an so, ugly hearted person, Chris is, is actually a lot. So wait, wait a second. <laughs> Sarah, did you have somebody particular in mind who's overly sensitive? <laughs> it might be another host of this show that I'm on right now. Look, you know what? I'm a, I'm a feeler and I'm a Christian and I'm sensitive <laughs> sometimes. But I do hate to break this party up because I do need to go right. pick up my one-year-old daughter from daycare she, before my daycare oh, lady gets mad. We were hoping we were interrupting your shower that you announced to me before the show. But all right, well, go pick <laughs> well, your. I was your getting dressed. Not, honestly, I was getting dressed as we were chatting. That's not on. That's not. She doesn't shower on Thursdays. That's usually a Friday <laughs> event. Oh boy. Well, okay. So I think I think what Chris was getting to, and. I reserve the right to ask you to edit out from here on, if I determine so. I think what Chris is getting to is his bitchy comment, is that I happen to be pregnant with my second child, and I have not been feeling so well lately, to include the fact that I revealed to Billy this morning that I haven't showered since Monday, and he didn't even realize it. Sarah has been unhinged, and no, I did not tell Chris that bit of news before. Is, you is your is your husband is your husband either not have any olfactory senses, or is he just too scared to even mention something like that to you? I I think it's probably a combination of both, um, and the fact that I don't really do anything that makes me sweaty and disgusting. I'm not a man. Well. We could argue that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we love you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. And we're going to call you back and harass you soon. Okay. Miss you guys. All right. Goodbye. Talk to you later. You are the weakest oh. thing. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, that was the most pointless is she gone? segment, but I love it. Is she gone? I think she's gone. Oh, yeah, oh, she's there, gone. Now she's gone. All right. Oh, so did she just break news? On the on the show, I, I mean, we knew, but does the yeah, other, I don't know if other Blaze um, staffers. I don't know. know, but then she's but then she mumbled uh, for listeners that she mumbled something about cutting it out. I, I, I reserve the right to cut it out if I want, and then she said it. Well, she's she's not editing this. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> well, she if she you know what we need to if do she tells we need us to we need to cut it out, all we'll of Sarah's out. words together into something amazing. <laughs> See, I can't. Well, I just. Oh no, I've lost Billy. Billy. God. Where, where'd you go? Your audio went. Video. Your video went out. Really? Because you just disappeared. Are you still there? You're, all right. Well, yeah. Your video is not moving at all, though. That's weird. I'll turn off my camera. Oh, we are <laughs> professional. All right. 
Now, Belly, you mentioned something to her about bringing her Bible to school today. Uh, that would assume both her desiring to have an education and having a Bible. Uh, but, Neither of which are true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. She's actually very, she went to Columbia. She's very uh, educated. Well, yeah, but she went to the J school, so it doesn't really count. Ooh. So you brought you brought that up because there's another story that's up today that's up this week uh, that was a big event and then you got a lot of pushback on social media for tell people about from this. crazy people from, like from crazy nu- people like nuts like it was really weird so tell people what you wrote about and then the responses that you got online. So last year we did a story on this Bring Your Bible to School Day. It's something wait, wait, wait. that was launched no, by Focus just, in the Family. Is it just the Bible or is it also Bring Your Koran to Work Day? Or it's Bible just Bring... Or well, look, school. okay, this is what's making me crazy. It's a, This is an outrage of the week mixed in with a story, okay? So, okay. so Focus on the Family is a Christian organization. Mm-hmm. They launched a Bring Your Bible to School Day last year encouraging kids to bring their Bible. Right. Around 8,000 people participated. Not a lot of people. It sounds like a lot, but it's really not. 8,000 people across the country participated in that last year. This year, they announced they were doing it again. Huge increase. They're saying about 100,000 people are expected to participate. This happened on the day that we're recording here, which is Thursday. Um, So 100,000 people, apparently kids, college students, bringing their Bible. Now, all of these people are posting their pictures on social. It's great. A lot of people are encouraged by this. They're saying, look, this is an uplifting thing that we're seeing. Right. People aren't ashamed. Kids are bringing their Bible. Right. And then you have a bunch of people. Look, you're not crazy if you if you oppose it or you say, oh, yeah, in a kind, respectful way. But you have these crazy people who are like, oh, well, you know, why didn't, why didn't they include Qurans and why didn't they include the Hadith and all these other holy books? And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you want to do that, then you create a bring your Quran book right. to school day. Right. You know what I mean? Like this right. is a Christian organization that made a decision to encourage Christians to bring their Bible. And so my Facebook page was flooded by with a bunch of insane people. Yep. Com- I shouldn't say they're insane people. People saying insane no, they things. Were, they were insane. They were insane. <laughs> and I'm trying to dialogue with them, and it's like, oh, you want a theocracy? This organization? No, they just want they just kids. To- just want to bring their Bible. They wanted to express their faith a little bit. And then the the nuts... Can I just say something about this? Okay? I I was going to say it anyway, even if you said no. The the fact of the matter that makes this so insane and enraging to me is that people are reacting so negatively to this. Oh, Christianity is the majority culture. And yeah, okay, it is. By the numbers, it is. But all of the institutions, and I've said this on the show a hundred times, and this is not like a culture warrior type of mindset. It's going to sound like it is, but it's just a fact. All of the institutions, colleges, media, entertainment, are not very friendly or favorable to the Christian majority culture. So everything that's out there is very negative, and the public schools aren't allowed to do a lot of the things that they once were able to do, for better or for worse. And so this is a way of people standing up, even if they are in the quote-unquote majority culture, and making sure that their voice is heard. The saddest thing to me is that people in the majority culture have their messages pushed out of all of the channels that are putting information out. So I just, to me, it just feels like, oh, okay, this is a nice thing people are doing. Why that enrages people? Yeah, I, I find enraging. I, I, I don't. It's um, I, I think the thing that bothered me the most about the comments that you had on your Facebook page and in social media in general, was people said, "Yeah, you're gonna bring this, just don't push it down our throat." Now, for people who say, "Don't push it down our throat," they don't mean. They're not talk. They're not indicating when they say that. They're not saying 
don't stand, you know, at the podium in the gymnasium and preach. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, I, you can go ahead and believe what you want to believe, but just don't talk about it. Like, as though my expressing the things that I believe are some sort of cramming it down your throat. Uh, I, I don't have I, I don't have the same feeling if, if somebody talks about how much of a, a you know a, a, a New England Patriots fan they are right <laughs> I don't feel like they're pushing it down my throat they're talking about what a fan they are of this or the thing that they believe the thing that they're excited about the thing that excites them why is it such a problem some all of a sudden for a Christian kid to say this is what I believe by the way you don't have to because they it. want it gone right they don't like it exactly. and they want it gone it's not about it's not about not liking the majority culture. They want it gone because it requires people, if they listen to it or embrace it, to live by a standard other than the standard that they want to live by. And so, right. you know, subconsciously, it's about knocking it down, not just getting it away from them. It's about, right. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to see it, which to me, that's totally counterintuitive and counterculture to what a liberal, quote unquote, yep. atmosphere should want, exactly. which is the sharing of ideas. If we were going to really be liberal, which I think the term is misplaced in today's you know, social and political context, yep. we would share ideas. Yep. OK, that's what we would be doing. But nobody wants that because sharing ideas is apparently a dangerous and awful thing unless the ideas that you agree with. Yeah, it's funny. They've become they have become these these people who oppose these kids even bringing their Bibles to school or even talking about the things they believe in. They have become the theocracy that they allegedly oppose. Right. I mean, oh, I like that. Uh, it's true. It's, it's, it's frustrating. So. All right. You know what? We got to we got to take it. We're going to keep this cut this break short because you and I need to get off here for a minute and go conduct a, an interview or two, and then we'll come back and we'll get the rest of the show recorded. But uh, we will be, we'll be back in just a couple minutes uh, with some other fun frivolity and some interviews and some other things we've been uh, planning for you over the last couple of weeks. We will be right back. The Church Boys. The Church Boys. Man, I hate these guys. So we told you just before uh, we went on that break that we we're going to go conduct an interview, and we did, and now we are back from that interview, and we interviewed a guy, I'm calling it the Blue Bible interview, I don't know what else to call it, but it's a new Bible that's coming out, and it's got blue in it. Um, apparently, they don't have any feelings for people who are colorblind, uh, and that sort of thing, but we didn't get into accusing them of being horrible, hateful bigots. <laughs> <clears throat> but before... Um, we before Billy lays out what it is we talked to uh, this gentleman about. I want Billy has trouble with phone systems. <clears throat> Billy has trouble with technology, and so this is. You're, I'm going to play a clip for you. If Billy doesn't know I was recording this, but I recorded our phone call up to before we had the interview, and so we're getting. So you're going to hear a couple blank spaces in this short clip, and that's either people who didn't know they were being recorded or a number that had to be put out. So. Let me play for you Billy's adventures, Billy versus the phone system, and then and then Billy's gonna lay out uh, what it is we talked to this guy about. All right, here we go. What do you think, Chris? Uh, if if a landline's easy, let's do that. Okay, great. I'm calling right now, actually. All right. <laughs> Thank you for calling. Group. This is Tom Schultz, or at least a recording of me. You dial. This is not a valid selection. No. Thank you, you to, for calling. Group. This you have is to Tom wait. Schultz or at least a recording of me. If you know your Tom. extension number, press 1 and number. You're so impatient. I know. <laughs> I have a real issue with phone systems. We should do a segment on it. <laughs> that makes me so It's bad. really bad. 
transfer to the name spelled at this time. Thank you for calling. So try Are you serious? Try it again. Four right? Four right? Okay. That's what he yeah. Said. Hi, could I be connected with extension four? Not much screening process in their phone system. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello? I'm going to kick you, Chris. All right, let's call his cell phone back. <laughs> Just call his cell phone. It's weird. It's ringing, but nobody's picking up. And didn't want to now connect. He's, the he's first calling place. me, so hold on. <laughs> Did you just hang up on her? She was talking to you. Oh, no. <laughs> Am it's, I on boiling point? It's no, one, it's no wonder you have, a, you have an issue with phone systems. You're an idiot. <laughs> this is crazy. This is completely <laughs> crazy. All right, we're calling his cell, and okay. don't ever ask for a landline again. No, I don't good. care if it sounds like somebody's farting into a microphone. <laughs> 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 I am calling him all that. So there, there you have it. That's Billy and his wait, technology. Wait. <laughs> wait a minute. I said to you I'm going to kick you at one point. I said it calmly, though. <laughs> I also said something about farting into a microphone. <laughs> I don't remember saying any of this at all. Well, I've got it all on tape, so tape. I recorded all of it, so it's just because we were on your eight track. Oh my, yeah. So no, and then I I uh, was listening to the interview last night. I thought, oh, this could be hilarious, and so I went and clipped it this morning and made the edits. Anyway, I thought the fans would. There's be... something honestly. I should just have a reality show where I try to call people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. It was it was intense. Oh and man, we did finally get him on the line though. Okay, so tell people about what we talked about with you know good old what's his name. So that's not old, nice, Rick. Uh, Rick Lawrence is his name. He's the editor of the Jesus Centered Bible, and like you were saying before, it's so it's it's basically taking all of the Old Testament scripture, and there are apparently six hundred references that he said Rick almost seven almost seven hundred. I thought. Yeah, I mean it's like way over six, and he said there was even more. There were even more, but he wasn't able. They they weren't able to put them in the Bible because it would have made it too big. But they basically went through and pointed out all the places in the Old Testament where they felt that Jesus was being referenced in some way, either loosely or very explicitly. And they highlight that in blue. So it's kind of like the red text, right? Right. That we find in the New Testament, but it's in the Old Testament, which I think is actually a really cool thing. And nobody had done idea. this before. Great idea. So they put this Bible out. Now, it's the New Living Translation, which is not my favorite translation. Are you an NIV guy or are you a King James guy? I'm not. A, I don't do thou in art and that all that. I'll just an IV. I'm good with NIV. Yeah. No, it's uh, the, I mean, to be, you know, to be fair to, to Kirk, uh, to Kirk, to Rick. Why do I call him Kirk? I don't know. You, I have no. I have no. So Zondervan is the one. Zondervan owns the copyright on NIV. No, Tyndale, right? Well, no, Tyndale owns Living Translation. New Living. Oh, Translation, I'm sorry. Right? I thought that's okay. Right, and I'm so not they they used the they they made the Blue Bible from the New Living Translation. They used the New Living Translation. They couldn't even if they'd wanted to use the NIV version because that's that copyright is owned by Zondervan. So right, right, right. And and look, 
New, New Living Translation is not bad. I just no, it's, it's not, not my favorite one. Right. So you have there you go. All right. I think what's I think the news that we're making here, though everyone is shocked, is the fact that you have a favorite version of the Bible. <laughs> Shut you up. You even read the Bible. Um, you're awful. Well, that's true. Are we ready to start you're this interview? Awful. I did spend oh, a lot of time reading Revelation 19 to 22 the other day. The new heaven and the new earth. I'm yeah. completely. Oh yeah, because you're doing that thing with the thing. Yeah, the thing with the thing. And oh, yeah. um, I'm fascinated by all of it. I just hope that you are somewhere where I can look down at you and laugh. <laughs> it's almost when, a guarantee. When the end times it's almost a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all right, let's just get into this. I want, I want people right. to be excited because okay. this is a fun and interesting interview. And look, again, this is something that nobody else has really done before. So Rick and his co-editor, Ken Castor, they spent a couple of years really diving into this project, and uh, I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let Rick do the talking. All right, here we go. Round it. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys. I have Chris Field, as always, on the line with me. And we have a very interesting guest on today to talk about a new version of the Bible. And this caught my eye recently, and I want to welcome Rick Lawrence with Group. How you doing today, Rick? I'm doing great, Billy. Thanks. So this caught my eye. Um, I saw you know, a press release about, about the Jesus-centered Bible, and I thought to myself, oh, this is great. And then I realized that I actually knew the, the press person who was handling it, and I reached out and I said, hey, I really want to talk with one of the editors who put this Bible together. And um, the unique and sort of cool thing about this, and I'm not going to ruin it, I'm going to let you talk about it, but, but is sort of the full picture of looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament and sort of, and sort of seeing how the two really fit together in, in a really fascinating and, and puzzle-like way. And so um, without teasing it anymore, I guess, let me just dive right in and ask you, um, what is different about this Bible, the Jesus-centered Bible, than any other Bible that people could find out there? Well, the, the Bible, um, on its own, is really about Jesus. The Old Testament points to the Messiah. The Gospels describe the Messiah, and the Epistles um, uh, chronicle what a life centered around, orbiting around Jesus is like. So all of the Bible is really about Jesus, but when people read the Bible in a normal, conventional way, they can miss that. And what we set out to do was to highlight the Bible in such a way that it was impossible to miss Jesus no matter where you were. And we did that through a wide variety of creative ways. And the reason we did this is because we believe that um, there's a difference between living a life that is centered around Jesus and the primary focus of that life is a deeper and deeper attachment to him, which results in fruit naturally. When you're attached to Jesus, he's the vine, you're the branch, his life uh, naturally produces fruit in your life when that happens. So we believe that the, the real point of the Christian life is to become more deeply attached to Jesus because natural fruit-making then takes over, rather than trying harder to get better or disciplining yourself more to, to duct-tape that fruit onto your branch. Um, we believe that Jesus mapped out for us a much more organic way, a much more relational way. So what would the Bible what would Bible reading be like if we proactively helped you to experience Jesus 
through all of Scripture by various means of highlighting His presence throughout it all. Hmm. And that's and so that's sort of the fascinating piece, right? Because as you said, a lot of people a lot of people can miss this. And so what you guys did was you you went through and pointed it out. And I mean, obviously, anybody who who practices Christianity and who is a Christian knows that the Old Testament is talking about all all of what is to come in Christ and is speaking about Jesus. But was there anything in this project that sort of surprised you as you were going through? Because you spent, what, about two years working on this? Yeah. Well, it started out as an idea, uh, and it came out of a, a kind, I guess you could call it a movement that, that um, uh, really I feel like Jesus planted in me about 10 years ago to, to try to envision what ministry in the church would be like if it was proactively centered around Jesus. And you think, well, isn't it already? Well, actually, surprising how much of ministry today isn't centered around Jesus. So it, it's really been 10 years in the making, um, and I've, I've written several books and and, um, and have uh, led uh, uh, training events across the United States around this. And our idea started with the seed. What would it be like if we created a Bible that was a Jesus-centered Bible? And one of our first ideas was, hey, you know, there's red letters in the New Testament where Jesus speaks. What if we highlight it in the Old Testament with blue letters, any place that points to Jesus or is connected to Jesus in the New Testament, and then next to each of those highlighted places, we we created a little blue box that described the connection. And at first I thought I, I had a partner in mind of who could help me do this. He's a professor that I know that is a very Jesus-centered person and a brilliant academic. And I thought, I could do this with him. I wonder if we could do this in like a weekend. <laughs> and that's how naive I was. Um, it ended up, he lived in my house off and on for three weeks straight, and we worked 18-hour days. And the transformational aspect of this is as we, we didn't know how long this would take, we thought this had been done before. It's never been done before in a Bible, we discovered. Um, and we ended up with almost 700 of these blue-letter references in the Old Testament, and we had to cap it because the Bible would get too big if we kept going. <laughs> and we just discovered as we went um, so many connections to Jesus in the Old Testament, and there were so many moments where we just stopped, stared at each other, just started crying couldn't believe how seamless um, the Old and New Testaments are when you really slow down to consider. And the other amazing thing that happened during this time is I did this at our kitchen table. And so I have a wife and two kids and friends that come in and out of our house. On the second day that my partner, Ken Castor, and I were doing this, my wife, I heard her in the background, she started to call our friends and invited them to come just sit in our family room so they could listen to Ken and I talk Hmm. as we went through this because it was transforming her life to listen to us. Um, so I would say, even now, I Ken and I wrote these and found them, but now I read the Jesus-centered Bible myself, obviously, and it transforms the way I read the Old Testament. Mm. You can flip open to any page in the Old Testament, and you'll find blue letters in a blue box, and, and it points to Jesus, and it transforms the way you enter into the Bible and the way you experience the Bible. 
Can I ask sort of a, and, and it's sort of a dumb question, but I'm just going to ask it because I'm fascinated by the ins and the outs. And I know some, some of the verses are probably easier than others to discern on the surface, but how, how were you certain, how were you sure that each one that you were finding and pointing out and putting in blue was actually a reference to Jesus? Well, some of them are easy because Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. And some of them are easy because there are places in the Old Testament account um, that have a later importance in Jesus' life. So you can make that connection. And some of them, uh, I guess you could say, are more subjective. Those are the most interesting, entertaining, and surprising ones that where you see uh, a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, a lot of them uh, you wouldn't normally pick out, and that's what makes it so fun to, to read these, because you read something and you think, what could that possibly have to do with Jesus? And then you see the connection. You go, whoa, I had no, no idea. So um, it, it's not like... Uh, an exhaustive listing, because as I said, we could have kept going if we wanted to. But what I've encouraged readers of the Bible to do, in the front part of the Bible, we describe each of the eight or nine or ten features that we've added to the Bible to, to, to center it around Jesus. And then the, the page that describes the blue letters in the Old Testament, I encourage people to read their Bible with a blue highlighter, so because they're going to come across more places that, that are obviously referencing Jesus, or they see the connection subjectively, and we encourage people to add to the blue letters in their Bible, because once you start reading the Old Testament this way, it's hard to not read it this way. Hmm. What what was the most, and I'm probably putting you on the spot, so if you don't know off the top of your head, you could always tell us after, but what was the most surprising verse or, or reference in your mind that you hadn't realized before, the one that sort of stuck out to you the most, like, oh my gosh, that is probably talking about Jesus, and I never thought of it that way? Well, I, I don't know if this is the most surprising one. There's probably a couple hundred that were shocking to me as we, as we found them, but one that just popped into my head as you asked that is, um, uh, and I don't, I don't have it in front of me right now, so I'm just going to be a little bit general with it, but there is a the Psalms are obviously many of them are songs, and there are songs of lament in the in the Psalms. I think the one I'm thinking of is in Psalm 119, where there is a lament song that was created that um, we know from historical evidence that this is one of the lament songs that the Israelites always sang around a funeral. And so the connection to this lament psalm is that when Jesus was um, going up to the tomb of Lazarus, it's almost certain this lament psalm was being sung. So there's the connection, that, uh, that in this context, this lament psalm was actually the backdrop to Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So there are things like that that you think, wow, <laughs> it just changes the nature of of the connection between these these realities, and you realize that so much of what Jesus was living out was a miraculous in and of itself that he lived out so many of these things in the Old Testament um, in, in his everyday life. So, so, the, so the Jesus... That's the, the one that popped into my head. So the Jesus-centered stuff and material, I don't mean to be glib about it, I'm just... Anyway, uh, it isn't, isn't 
isn't just like you, you talk about, obviously we have the prophets who predict a Messiah and that sort of thing. And there are, there are other things written, you know, in, in Genesis where we, you know, God's promising that we're going to have a, uh, he's going to, he's going to take care of it, take care of the sin that's in the world. And, and we know all the things that are the typical stuff, but the Jesus centered Bible or the, I, I call it the blue Bible, but <laughs> when Billy and I have talked about it, the Jesus centered Bible also contains, as you just alluded to, times where Jesus connects himself back to the Old Testament, where he does the connecting right. rather rather yep. than just the, the right. foreshadowing of Jesus, where Jesus actually calls back to Old Testament material. Yep, exactly. And there are other many other features in the Bible, some of which have not been done before. We, we, we set out to uh, kind of isolate and condense. What are the major um, overshadowing human questions of, of all human, human beings? And we kind of narrowed it down after some research to nine basic questions. There are things like, um, why do bad things happen? Um, what is my purpose in life? These are massive, uh, broad human questions. And so we narrowed it down to nine. And then uh, one of the projects that I did by myself was, um, where can we find Jesus answering these nine great questions of humanity? And so I just plowed into the Gospels, looking for places where Jesus directly answers these questions. And uh, again, there were so many times he did it that I had to limit myself to about four occasions for every one of these nine questions. So there's about 36 or 37 of these Jesus Answers Life Essential Questions, Hmm. little mini-essays through the Gospels, that show Jesus directly answering these nine basic human questions. Um, so that's another way that is surprising, um, that where Jesus is, is uh, ultimately practical, reaching into the, the biggest questions of our everyday life. Why did you guys choose the New Living Translation? Why, why was that the choice for you? That was a great question. Well, it's a complex answer, no, Rick, but I'll no, do it in real quick. No, Rick, Rick, um, be, Rick, before, before you answer, I need to, please don't compliment Billy in such a way and tell him it's a great question. Just say, <laughs> I appreciate the question, Billy. We can't be going around complimenting Billy. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't want me to lead him into sin. I understand. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I'm sure he gets enough of that at home anyway. <laughs> when you walk through the door, aren't you praised from the moment you walk through, just like I do? Oh, um, yes, in my head at least, yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, we first of all, we have a relationship with Tyndale, a long relationship with Tyndale, uh, mutual admiration society between our two organizations. We've done projects with them in the past because we like um, what they do, and we really, really love the New Living Translation because it's not a paraphrase, it's a translation, and it's a translation that um, reads at a sixth grade level, but has beautiful language in it. So I, we, I love simplicity. The reason why Apple is so popular and there's so many fanatics of Apple is their sleek and simple design, and the NLT is a sleek and simple design for a translation. Hmm. So we love the language of it, the simplicity of it, but also the power of the words. And it's turned out to be um, um, a a fast-growing and popular translation that a lot of people, including academics, are starting to shift over to because they love the the, the simple beauty of the language. Hmm. 
is is what, no, does, what would does, you... does Tyndale own the Go copyright ahead. on on the NLT? Is, is that Tyndale's copyright? Yes. Okay. So that so originally the, you you'll probably remember Tyndale had a paraphrase called the Living Bible. Right. Um. Uh. You know, thirty or forty years ago that right. was launched, and then um, I think it was ten or fifteen years ago they created a new translation called the New Living Translation, which is not a paraphrase. Right. And that's, that's what we're using. Gotcha. What would you say from your perspective when it comes to, I mean, it's interesting because when, you, when we talk about prophecy, a lot of us focus on end times and what, and what the Bible says about the end times. And there's obviously that, that age-all debate about the, the end times. But, you know, when, when you think about prophecy, a lot of people do sort of overlook the fact that some of that prophecy in the Old Testament happened in Jesus, and, and that there's this whole other element of prophecy in the Bible, uh, of prophecies that have already unfolded as well. What do you hope, in light of that, that people will, will sort of just take away from this if they pick up a copy of it and they learn about it? I guess, what's your, what's your main takeaway for readers? Yeah, well, um, I mean, the common understanding of prophecy is foretelling the future, um, but there's also a broader definition of prophetic truth, which is essentially um, truth that upends, truth that uh, that redeems, truth that uh, prophetic truth that has a power to upend you. And uh, so my my hope for readers of this Bible is for them to experience what I did in helping create it and what I do when I read it, which is you read and you see um, what close ties there are throughout the Old Testament to who the Messiah would be, what he would do, and how he would do it, and where he would do it. Um, You see the overwhelming number of times where all of those prophetic uh, statements or prophetic descriptions are exactly fulfilled in Jesus. And it kind of creates uh, a miraculous environment around you when you read this. It just, it, it, it literally floors you the, the, the further you read. So I know that was my experience in finding and creating them and in highlighting them, and it's still my experience when I read them. <laughs> and it's the early feedback. The Bible's been out for about five weeks now. And the early feedback from people who are reading it is exactly that. They're floored by the way um, Jesus fulfills uh, Old Testament prophecy, both in the specific of foretelling the future and the broader prophetic, surprising, upending truth that he lived out in the New Testament that was described in the Old Testament. Very good. So very this, good. You said this this has been out for five weeks now. It's obviously it's in print. Is it also in a like a Kindle version or a iBooks? That will come. Um, okay. Right now, we've uh, in this initial phase, we've released three different versions of it that are basically three different covers of it. There's a hardback version, and then there's two different leather-like covers that we have for it. And as we continue to build and develop what we were going to be doing with this in the future. Um, that That is in our future. That's one of our next steps is to develop that. Um, and we also ha- have been talking with the version people about something they've okay. never done before, but could you actually have a Bible like this on version that includes all of these 
features in an interactive way wow. uh, on version. So we're talking with them about that possibility. They've never done that before. Um, so we have a lot of things that we're that we're hooking up, trying to think what's the next iteration of this, and that's one of them. Wow, that's great. And the version people, we've I've interviewed them many times. They Bobby is is brilliant. What they've done is great, and I think that would be fascinating to see how this would integrate into an app, especially on a tablet. That'd be really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and and there, you know, this <laughs> it's kind of a mustard seed story. Um, the, the 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 seed of this starting out. We had a scope that wasn't very large. We just didn't know really where it would take us. And even as an organization, this has mushroomed and grown underneath our feet. And really, our whole organization now um, is is uh, attentive to this movement and is orbiting around this Jesus-centered approach to life and approach to reading the Bible. That has uh, always been a part of who we are, but never more massive than it is today. So there are lots of things that are happening today that, have, that haven't been in our organization in the past because we're cooking up new ideas around the Bible. Um, in fact, I have a, a book coming out in March called The Jesus-Centered Life, mm. which is really, I'm, I'm an author of almost 40 books. This book captures all of what is most important to me in life. Um, wow. It is a exploration of the Jesus-Centered Life in Two-thirds of it is a pragmatic, almost a idea source or a menu of, of things you can do in an everyday way that will make your life more Jesus-centered. So that comes out in March. It's called The Jesus-Centered Life. Now, now Rick, well, listen, we definitely... I, was oh, gonna, go I, I wanted to go ask ahead, one more Chris. question. You, you mentioned your organization. I don't, I don't remember you talking about it at the beginning. What's your organization, and what is it that you do for a living outside of, you know, making blue Bibles? <laughs> Well, it's called Group Publishing, and we've been okay, around for okay. uh, a little over 40, 40 years, and we create resources for the Church and for uh, individual Christian people. Um, but our most of our history has been um, resourcing the Church, and um, we started out resourcing right. youth ministry. Right. We expanded into children's ministry and then expanded into adult and pastoral ministry. And uh, we're, our headquarters are in Loveland, Colorado. Um, we... We not only publish resources, but we um, do national training events and regional training events, and we have uh, digital resources and websites and all kinds of things. We're a full-service right. resourcer of the Church, and now, uh, more recently, going directly to individuals, and this Bible is one expression of that. Uh, it's, it's directly, we're reaching out directly to individuals in the Christian world. Gotcha. Um, so in my role has been, uh, I'm executive editor of Group Magazine for the last 28 years. Okay. It's the world's most read youth ministry resource, but I have a company-wide role as well, okay. um, and uh, that has grown and developed over the years. Great. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Group. I mean, different churches I've worked in and been a part of, we've used your resources. I just didn't realize your role in, in Group or was with Group, so that's good to know. I've been here a long time. <laughs> well, it sounds like, and it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. So I don't know how you're writing all these books. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to work on my first book ever, and you've done forty. So that's it. That is an inspiration that it is possible to do to do it. Well, so, Billy, I don't think any well, of listen. I, I don't think this. any of his I books. Think I don't great. think any of his books were coloring books, Billy. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, Chris, you're correct. They probably were not. Uh, well, this is great. And we, we definitely want to have you back. I think especially when you guys figure out what you're going to do with the version people, potentially, I, I think this is great. And I'm excited. I have a copy that you guys sent me. I'm going to be diving into it and, and uh, looking at all of I just think it, it forces you to sort of look a little bit differently or deep, more deeply for most Christians, at least, who haven't spent the time maybe or haven't noticed these connections to really dive in and see that. So I appreciate the project and I thank you for coming on. Billy. Billy. Oh, oh, Billy. That was your cue. <laughs> no, listen. I'm watching I you on Skype and I you're staring a, off there, into space. I don't know why you ever have me bring us in from a break because I'm clueless about <laughs> life in general, That's clearly. Uh, I actually was not hearing the audio for a second. I was hearing Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls in my head for some well, reason. Uh, TLC, why, circa why, 1992. Were, were you playing that song? No. No, Why? I just saw something that reminded me of it, and I was dazing you, off into my own world a little bit. You know, TLC was the jam back in the day. Oh, my goodness. You anyway, probably were a TLC anyway, fan, weren't anyway, you? Anyway. All right, go ahead. So we also, and I love this, because we've been we've been so popular, the Church Boys, that we've been doing multiple interviews. And we got people calling multiple us. People. Right, like, because you guys, now, now don't get happy, listeners, and we need you to listen harder, okay? That's, that's your, that's your... You have one job. Those of you who listen to the church boys, you have one job. Listen harder, okay? But because you have been so faithful in listening and because of the amazing untold success of this, and by, and I mean untold literally, the untold <laughs> success of the church boys, we actually have people coming to us. It used to be Billy always got the pitches to have stories about faith-related things on theblaze.com, which is great. But now you're actually getting pitches for this show, right? Yeah, I mean, we have people coming to us and being like, "Hey, you guys are really cool people, and we would love to." <laughs> no, be that's on your not show. true. No, they're just basically like, "Look, we have something to promote, and we'd love for you to interview whoever it is." But look, we've gotten a lot of really big yeah. names, and it's funny because, I mean, we get we get big names for theblaze.com, and obviously, this is part of the Blaze Radio Network, but it's a little bit different. It's it's a smaller audience, right? Yeah. And when you're starting yeah. a podcast out, you want it to be big. You want to get those big names. Right. But right. we've had ever. I mean, we've had huge people right. in the faith world, and we have some really big ones coming up, which I'm excited about. Now, can we tell them about what's coming next week? Or, you know what? Never mind. Billy has been a major disappointment for all no, of you. This is this is we, we this is not this, this is, is not etched in stone yet. Is it this etched in is, stone? happening it's etched in stone if it doesn't happen what are you going to do or say to the people next week if it doesn't happen i will pray for all of you and will you give you out this person will you give if it doesn't work out will you give your and this other person's personal phone number out so they can all call and harass yes i will do that oh really do you have this other person's permission to make that offer I, well no but i mean you don't need permission sometimes you're gonna you lie now you'll lie then either way so it doesn't matter okay go ahead sometimes you just apologize later all but, right um Okay, so next week, next week, dun, dun, our next dun. show is going to have a guest host. Guest which, host. Now, don't worry, me, Chris and I will both be here, but this guest host will be joining us for the entire show. Woohoo! And this guest host is is pop star phenomenon Madonna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, no, that's a lie. Okay, uh, but even better, even, even better, better. What, <laughs> Billy? What? 
What could be better than Madonna? It is Matt a ham sandwich. You West. Matthew, Matthew West. West. Oh, all right, see. So Christian you, singer Matthew West, who who I love, who's a, who's a good guy and a friend, and he is going to be with us. And that's not all. <laughs> we will have other guest oh, hosts yes. coming. As well. And let's not no, let's not give that one away. That's coming. I'm up. not going to. Okay, because I'm not going to. But, but it will also we be very have cool. A third guest host, which Chris doesn't even know about yet. What? Yeah, things okay, are. Okay, so I know about the Matthew West thing, and then I know the other thing with the thing, but I don't know about the third thing. The, the, thing the third the thing. thing is a person we've had on before who I've asked. I, no, I not Rivette. So We're I... not having Rivette on. No, not okay. Rivette. A, a, a famous person. Oh, 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 I think I know. Yes. You know who I'm going to ask? I'm going to ask Willie Robertson, too. I think you should. How do you feel about that? Absolutely. Or Jace. Jace is my favorite. Jace. I, now, we if just we have, had now, Jace if we have, too. if we have Willie on, I won't tell Jace that. I won't tell him that Jace is my Uncle favorite. Si? I feel like we would not get through 10 minutes. It would be chaos. No, it would be a long show, but we would talk about maybe one thing the entire time because it would be trying to get understand what in the world he's talking about. Wait, we've actually had Cy on the show, too. Yeah, I know we have. I yes, I know. I know. But we've I, had a lot of good well, people on. Not to, now, you know. If we could get one of the Duck Dynasty guys on, I would. that would be that would be a thrill. That would be, I mean, that would be fun. Wouldn't it would be fun? It would be fun. So I I'm think I know, but the, but the third thing... With the thing, I think I know the thing. Yeah, do you think I, think I know the thing? thing? Do you think? But I know Matthew West is the next thing, and awesome. that's going to be great. So he'll be here. He is going to talk about all the issues we talk about. He'll be like a regular host of the show with us. Nice. It's be fun. Oh, that's great. All right. Now we'll talk about his cross dressing too. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's learned from the best. You. <laughs> I've never met Matthew. Have well, I? you're missing. Maybe out. I he's have. A good guy. Have I met Matthew? Uh, you have not. Okay. You have not, but I have hung out with Matthew, and he's a good guy. Yeah, we got know, coffee in Birmingham. Yes, you and your name dropping. <laughs> okay, so uh, what are we the doing? Other next? person's cool too. I'm excited. So, okay. uh, so but, we got, well, that was a serious bird walk. Where are we going uh, now? <laughs> I have no clue what's going on at the show right now. Wait, I know, I know. Okay. I'm supposed yes. to introduce John Maxwell. Oh yes, now introduce so, John Maxwell. This is one of the interviews that I refused to be a part of. <laughs> yes, you did. John, not because you don't like John, you just had apparently some other thing to do. Like but 16 John other Maxwell, things. Well, pastor, speaker, success expert. Dun dun dun. No, it's not a dun 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 moment. Uh, it's not because that's what you say for things that are not that's good. Right. Well, you know what? My, uh, but, my so we'll read. I'll read books with my son, Colty, and I'll say and I'll, we'll read a part of the book and we'll go dun dun dun, and he goes, "That is not a dun dun dun." So basically, everyone in your life is trying to correct this oh, yeah. mistake that you continue to make. <laughs> I'll even say it at the right times, but his his running gag is no dun dun dun, daddy, no dun dun dun. <laughs> and if he thinks a well, dun 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 is coming, he'll he'll put his hand over my mouth and go no dun dun dun. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's this funny. is not a dun dun dun. Uh, it is not okay. But, so more so about John, John Maxwell has um, a new book out, and um, that new book, Living Intentional. Did I get the name right? I might not have gotten the name right. I just told you what the name of the book is, and I actually had a fart in the microphone moment where Did you intentional living, intentional living. <laughs> not like an ahead, actual fart up, in the microphone. You had a you had a fart in the moan moment, not a fart in the microphone moment, anyway, not an anyway, actual. He has, this is sort of like the, the book that he says sums up his entire ministry, all of his work. It's really about figuring out what your purpose is, which which look, I mean, there's a lot of self-help books out there, but there's a kind of a cool story about his life when he was a young pastor and how he 
got into this whole line of work of helping other people. And he's one of the most recognizable names when it comes to sort of the, I hate to use the word self-help, but that, that realm and coming from an evangelical perspective, I think it's very, very interesting. So I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let him do the talking. We're going to talk through his new book and his career. Here is John Maxwell. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell, and I'm here today with John Maxwell. How are you doing today, John? Good, Billy. I'm just delighted to be with you and uh, kind of excited about sharing some stuff that I think your people will uh, just be able to apply to their life and help them uh, on the road to significance. Well, I love it. And I know that's that's always the, the question that everybody has, right? It's how do you, and I know there's so many different subjects, how do you balance, how do you find success, how do you... I mean, and there's so many different elements to it, and you've spoken about this for years. You've written so many books on this, and you're really the leading figure in sort of addressing all of these different issues when it comes to finding purpose. So I'm excited to talk with you, and I appreciate you taking the time. And I thought we would just, you know, I want to talk all about your your new book, which is releasing later this month, but I, I wanted to sort of lead with a question that I think a lot of people would be interested to hear the answer to, and that would be... You know, what's the toughest lesson that you've learned uh, throughout your career, whether it be pastoring, speaking, um, helping other people? What is the toughest thing that you've had to personally learn? I think the hardest thing I've ever had to learn is the fact that uh, you can't rest. Um, that the, the moment that you think that you uh, have arrived, uh, life keeps moving. The moment that you feel that you have learned something, there's something more to learn. And um, there's just no resting point. There's a growth. Growth requires me every day to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep asking questions, to have a teachable spirit. It, it, I, I can't get to a place where I say I've learned it, so I don't need to have a teachable spirit. And uh, you know, life has got all kind of twists and turns. And there's a sense of, uh, of humility that just grounds me or grounds, I think, people to where we just have to understand every day that um, that we haven't arrived and that uh, there's more to learn, there's more to uh, do, more to grow, more to experience. And uh, that the moment you begin to shut down or begin to turn the switch off or begin to say, I deserve, uh, I, you know, I deserve a prolonged rest or whatever it is, Life never doesn't doesn't favor that. It, it continues on, and, and and pretty soon I get behind. <laughs> yeah. There's always something, right? There's a, there's always something happening, and that's a good point you make too. I think a lot of people, um, you know, looking at life, you sort of look for those resting points, and it's good to rest here or there. But I think knowing that lesson, I guess, is, is helpful because it's true. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I say, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna rest right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna take some time. I'm gonna do this and." You know, life happens. You can't always control it. So I think I think that's a that's a really interesting response. And yeah, and another thing that I know that you've said is you want to see a million lives transformed. What what does that look like? Um, the transformation of lives, and and why have you set that goal? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I set the goal because it's challenging. It's not only challenging to me, but it's challenging to the people I talk to, like on this show. And let, let me explain this. When I was, when I was uh, 27, uh, for Christmas from a, a friend, Eileen Beavers, she gave me a, a book. 
And I unwrapped the, the, uh, the, the paper and the title of the book on the outside was The Greatest Story Ever Told. And I love to read, and so I thought, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. This is going to be amazing. The greatest story ever told. I wonder what it's about. I wonder what the characters are like. And, and so I opened the book, and when I opened the book, Billy, much to my surprise, the, the pages were blank. <laughs> and, and, and Eileen, at the top of that first page, basically said, John, your life is before you. Fill these pages with kind acts, uh, matters of your heart, wonderful deeds. Uh, write your own story of significance. And Billy, I, I cannot I cannot describe to you or any of the listeners uh, what, what that did for me. I, I, for the first time, realized that I had a choice, that I could either read my life because somebody would certainly write it, or, or I could write my own life and be the author of my own story. And I remember taking that book and, and starting to fill those blank pages up over the next few months with journaling thoughts and just thoughts that, that I thought would, you know, be important in my life. And that jump-started me. Eileen Beavers jump-started me and saying, John, write your own story. And so when I, when I began to write Intentional Living and, and realized that the whole thesis of Intentional Living is that um, you cannot do anything significant unless you are intentional, that, that no one ever achieved a significance with good intentions. They, they, had, to, they had to intentionally act on it. When I realized that I was going to write this kind of a story, a, a, a book, a book that, that basically uh, talks to people about how they could be significant in life, it just was very clear to me that I want them to write their own story and, and that I want them to write a story of significance. And not only do I want them to write a story of significance, I, I want to read their story. That I, I want to be the reader of their life. I want to, I want to be a person that did for them what I did for me. She got me writing my own story. And so we kind of, uh, we looked at each other and said, this book is more than a book. This book is a movement. Uh, this book is a catalyst. This is a, this is a book that is catalytic to help people realize that they can write their own story of significance. They can lead their life, not just accept their life. And that if they do write their own story of significance, they're going to be incredibly fulfilled because once you've tasted significance, Billy, trust me, success will never satisfy you again. So, so throughout the book, I tell my story. But I tell my story not because that's that great and important. It just happens to be my story. But I tell my story so that the person, as they're reading it, can begin to say, well, wait a minute. i got a story that's like that, too. And, and the book is in four different kind of phases. I, I, you know, I want to make a difference. And every reader that's going to read this book, they're going to say to themselves, well, I, I want to make a difference, too. But it's not enough to want to make a difference. You've got to, you've got to go from good intentions to good actions. And so what we're saying to people is, okay, then if you want to make a difference, write us a story of significance. Tell us how you've added value to someone else in an intentional way. And, and what we believe is going to happen is within two years, we believe we're going to get a million stories. Uh, we're going to, we, we think we're going to be the chicken soup of the soul for significance. And, uh, and we're just going to have people say, okay, let me tell you my story. And, and the other thing I love about the book is we say start small. Uh, we, you, you don't wait till you get a certain age or a certain position or a certain amount of money or a certain title or a certain influence and then start writing your story. Start small. Right now. Right, right now. And I just love that because, um, uh, you know, opportunity is not out there. Opportunity is in here. It's right around me right now. But I've got to seize it. So this is a book that basically says you are a person of significance. And you can do significant acts, but you have to be intentional. 
So well, as you're being intentional, tell us what you did. And we're just going to start collecting stories all over the world. And, and then we're going to use those stories to inspire other people to do stories because nothing inspires a movement more than people that are already moving. And once they start moving, they say, hey, look what I did. You could do this, too. And, and then I think the, the, the book Intentional Living has a life that, that is way beyond me, way beyond anyone. It, it, it becomes one that is bigger than all of us. So Let we're me... excited, Billy. We really are, because already the book has just been released, and already we're getting stories. And, and we're already hearing from people who are saying something like this. Well, I, for the first time in my life, I realized that significance is as close to me as being intentional. And, and the moment that I say I, I want to intentionally act on something, I, that's, then, then I, then I be, become a person of significance. And one more quick thought on that, Billy, is the, the quickest way to upgrade your life is to become intentional. I mean, if somebody said, John, I want to make my life better, what should I do? I would look at it and say, become intentional. And uh, we're not asking people to be intentional 24-7. That's a big change. But we're saying, hey, could you be intentional 30 minutes a day? Could you, could you I don't know, could you in, in a 30-minute period of time take five minutes out and think of what you're going to do that day and who you're going to see and, and, and say, okay, I'm going to be intentional with that person and here's what I'm going to do. And then could you take about 20 minutes and, and literally act it out and do it? And could you take another five minutes and reflect about what you think and what you learned and how you feel from it? And, and I can promise you, if we can get people practicing and doing the 30-minute-a-day stuff, I promise you, um, it isn't going to take them. It isn't going to take them long at all for them to um, to become a person of significance. In fact, to start this movement, uh, anybody can go online and just go to startsevenday.com. And, and seven-day-dark-seven-day-dark.com, uh, startsevenday.com, is seven days of which I do about a three to four-minute video every day, giving them another significance idea. And uh, I had a mom the other day tell me she sat out with her two kids, and she literally took them through the that three or four minute deal. And when she was done, she looked at her children and said, "Okay, what are we going to do today as a family to be significant?" And she said, "John, they got on board and they got the idea." And so we did that that day. And she went. She said we did the second day on the on the seven day experiment. And and she said every day. She said for a whole week we did the seven day experiment, and I did something significant with my children. So. If all of the people that are following you, Billy, would just go to, again, start7day.com, uh, it's free. It's a free resource. They can listen to me for three or four minutes a day, and it will jumpstart them. Again, you can tell this is more than a book. This is a movement. I'm passionate. I'm very passionate about helping people do small, intentional, significant acts because I promise you, once they start doing it, their whole life is going to begin to have a sense of fulfillment and meaning. Uh, and they're going to, as the subtitle of the book says, they're going to truly choose a life that matters. They're going to, they're going to all of a sudden begin to say, you know what, my life really counts. And wanted, uh, once again, once you taste significance, I promise you, success won't satisfy. Well, I wanted to ask you, because I think it's fascinating, your sort of pivot point, and it sounds like it was a pivot point in your life, was getting that book with the blank pages in it. Have you held on to that? Book? Do you still have it? I'll tell you what, it got lost about three moves ago. And, and, and uh, Now, when I say I don't have it, I've never really checked with my assistant, Linda Eggers, to see if by chance it would be in a... We, we have literally a, a storehouse of archive stuff. I had it and kept... In fact, I was talking to my wife, Mark, the other day about that. 
And I, you know, at this stage of my life, I, you know, I'd give $25,000 if I could get that book. I, because uh, what I put in that book, uh, it, it, nothing was brilliant, but it was my first shot at being significant. It was my first, it was my first attempt of, of trying to do things. And, and uh, so if I looked at it today, two things I know I would know about it. One is the fact that what I, you know, what I wrote in it, you know, my gosh, that would be 40 years ago now, wouldn't, wouldn't be brilliant or wouldn't impress me. But it would be beautiful because it was my first attempt and it was my first shot. And that's all I'm asking again. All the people that are with you, Billy, all I'm asking them is just give it a first, give it a first shot. Just, just trust me on this. Uh, get intentional and, and, and start your day by asking, who can I help? Who can I add value to? Figure out who it's going to be. And then spend 15 or 20 minutes doing that very thing. And then reflect on what you learn. And, and it, uh, after a few days, that's why the seven-day experiment, I think, is so important. After a few days of action, because let me tell you something. Action is the catalyst for transformation. Uh, there's just no one has ever been transformed by good intentions. Nobody has ever had beautiful life change by thinking a great thought. They had to act on that thought. And that's what I think is so fantastic and so beautiful uh, about the book. The book is a catalyst to get people jump-started. I will consider the book a success when a person reads it and they begin to act out intentionally significant thoughts and, 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 and deeds. If they don't do that, it, you know, then I'm going to say, well, it was just another book. I, I've written 80-some books, and this is the most important book I've ever written because this book has potential to truly begin a, a, a movement. I would not be surprised at all in, in 18 months to two years with hundreds of thousands of stories that we're going to be able to take some of those stories and start putting them on, you know, putting them out so people can read them on email, you know, just put them in front of people so they can say, oh, my gosh. And, and they'll, they'll be inspired. You know, mass movements don't begin with a mass. They begin with one or two or three. And, but, but it becomes contagious. And I'm hoping that intentional living becomes contagious. That's, that's really what my heart and my desire is. You know, one, one other question about when you were in your 20s and you started writing in this blank book and, you know, I thought, I think it's so funny how you said, oh, I, you know, I get this book and I'm excited thinking this is going to be the greatest story ever told and it ends up being the blank page for your life, for you to write in. Um, what were you doing at that point in your life? And, you know, just some more details about where you were because I think it's fascinating. It really seems like that, what you're asking of people now is sort of what you were asked of then, and, and that was a huge pivot point for you. So where were you then, um, professionally, socially, and, and how did that first exercise of trying to get it all on paper change you in the immediate back then? Great question. I was, again, I was in my 20s. I was a pastor. I was in my second church in Lancaster, Ohio. And, and what's, here's what makes this significant. Uh, I was doing good things for people. I really was. I, I mean, I, I was a pastor. I mean, every day of my life, I was doing good things for people. But I was doing good things for people because, you know, that's what you do as a pastor. That, you know, that's, that's your job. But I never put intentionality behind that. And, and two things happened. The story of Eileen Beavers I just gave you with the book was one thing that happened. And the second thing that happened is I had a a gentleman named Kurt Kettmeyer who sat down and had breakfast with me one day, and he asked me if I had a plan for personal growth, of which I did not. And at the end of that conversation, he told me, he said, John, growth is not an automatic process. If you're going to grow, you're going to have to be intentional. And, and the great gift that, that Kurt gave me and the great gift that Eileen gave me is both of them said to me, you have to be intentional. 
And I say that, and I have to understand, okay, I, I was a pastor, so I'm a person of faith. This is my background. I'm not trying to push this on anybody else. I'm just saying that's who I am. And you ask the question, where was I and what was I doing? Well, that's what I was doing. But, but here's what I find to be interesting. It, it, there's, there's, there's a story in, in, in Matthew uh, that Matthew tells about, about uh, men and women standing before God. And basically, some were sheep and some were goats. And, and God is looking to them, and he, he, he's saying, you know, I was in prison, and you came and visited me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was hungry, and you gave me food. And the people that did these wonderful acts, I mean, the, these wonderful things of, of caring for people and, and, and doing some wonderful things, they looked at him, and they said, when did we do this? They were totally baffled by this. They said, what, what do you mean? When, when did we see you in prison? And he said, when you, when you went to see someone else, as when you went and visited them, you visited me. In other words, Jesus said, basically, when you do something that is beautiful and intentional, act of significant, you're, you're doing it to me. Now, so there were the, the goats, the, the bad guys, he said, you know, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. You know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. When were you hungry and I didn't feed you? When were you in prison and I didn't visit you? And he, and he gave the same example. Well, he said, when you didn't do this to the least of these, and he used the phrase the least of these, so these weren't important people. These were, these were people that will pass by on, on, on the street every day. He said, when you didn't do that to them, then you ignored me too. And what, what is amazing to me is neither group was intentional. Neither group saw the big picture. If they would have known that when they did these things, they did them unto God, I promise you the ones that were doing it would have done more. And the ones that weren't doing it would have started doing it. And, and intentional living is all about big picture. It's all about see more than yourself, do acts after you have had some intentional thinking, do some intentional action on it. And, and I just get very excited about the fact that once a person intentionally helps somebody, the reward is so much greater than if they just help somebody. You know, it's because people help people every day. But the moment they realize what intentionality does to that, it, it brings a significance, it brings a return to that act that they didn't have before. That's what excites me. And the Intentional Living book is going to spark that in people's lives. The Intentional Living book is going to, people are going to say, oh my, now I've not only done this good deed, but now I understand the big picture of this good deed, and so therefore I'm more rewarded and fulfilled because I know the big, and I, I, I see the whole significance of it, whereas before I didn't. And, you know, my last question for you, and I appreciate you taking the time today, is just what, what has been the secret to your own success in your life? And you've hinted at this a little bit in, in talking um, here about intentional living, but what's been your secret and what role did faith play in that rise to success over the decades? Well, I love you asking this question because, Billy, um, First of all, people, people get intimidated by success, and, and they get uh, mystical about success. And they just look at it and they say, well, you know, uh, you know, some have it, some don't, and maybe someday I'll get it, and maybe I'll win the lottery. And, and, and you know, the, the secret of my success is the same secret, Billy, of your success, and it's the same secret of every person that is following us today, their success. And here it is. The secret of any person's success, yours, mine, everyone else's, 
is determined by what we do every day. In other words, if I just followed any person for one day and watched them, I wouldn't have to interact with them all. I just followed them and observed At the end of the day, if we were having a 6.30 dinner, I could look at them and I could give them with a pretty high percentage odds of how successful they're going to be in life. Because during that day, what they do, their behavior, their attitude, all this stuff is going to show up. And it's either going to show up that they're doing the right thing today, which is going to ensure and set them up for the, a, a good tomorrow, or they're doing the wrong thing today, which is going to pretty much ensure that they're not going to have a good tomorrow. And, and so the secret of a person's success is, is basically in their daily agenda. If I, if I were with you for a day, uh, at the end of the day, I could tell you what kind of an attitude you had. I could tell you if you knew how to prioritize your life. I could tell you if you were intentional. I could tell you if you were disciplined. All the things that are part of success show up in a day's time within any individual. So you don't have to wait for a year to look at a person and evaluate them. You can pretty much, after a couple of days, figure out how, how they're going to do. Every, every day, Billy, we're either repairing or preparing. So, so when people say, okay, how does that work? It works very simple. Uh, you know, my, my mentor, John Wooden, just basically said to me, you know, make every day your masterpiece. Uh, that, that statement inspired me to write the book, Today Matters. And the whole thesis about Today Matters is very simple, really, that we over-exaggerate yesterday, we over, uh, uh, we, we over under, or we underestimate today, and we overestimate tomorrow. And, and so the, it's today that we underestimate that we need to be seizing the moment. And that's where intentional living comes in. Intentional living doesn't allow you to let the day escape you without doing something that's significant in life. Intentional living literally underlines the fact that you're going to make that day count, that you're going to make that day your masterpiece. And, and uh, if, if, if you and I go through our day unintentionally, just whatever happens, happens, and we're just kind of letting it evolve, and we're going to see what happens, and I hope, I hope something good happens to me today, I promise you, we will not maximize that day. I had a friend tell me recently, you know, time is the same for all of us. We don't do, we, we don't do uh, you know, time management. I mean, you don't manage something that continues. It's, it's, it's going to continue whether you and I manage it or not. But that they said, John, when you're intentional, what you do is you evaluate your day much better than if you aren't intentional and, and that you seize your time better. And, and that's what this book is all about. This book is all about uh, do something significant today, be intentional with it, and then tomorrow, do it again. And, and uh, I'm 68. And what I know at this age is very simple. Consistency compounds in either a positive way or a negative way. And if I'm consistent on a daily basis and I'm intentional, I'm doing the right things, it compounds until one day it begins to be a, a pretty awesome, awesome story. If I am unintentional, that unintentionality, that lack of purpose, that lack of, 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 of leading my life, it'll show up too. So consistency over time shows up that we're either a lot better because we did the right thing, or to be honest with you, we're a lot worse because we did the wrong thing. And intentional living is basically a simple book saying, let me share with you the right things you need to do on a daily basis that will really make your life matter. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time today. We're going to make sure we link out for people to pick up copies of Intentional Living. And we thank you again for spending some time with us. 
Billy, we need to go no. here. You're, now you've set off all the mic levels, and I have to readjust everything because you're such a help. All right. But so we got to get out of here in a minute. But let's in this last segment, we got one more story. And you said it's a story about the center for the kids who can't read. Good. Now, what's the what's the what happened <laughs> here? True. You have the story totally wrong. Oh, that, no, that's I, that's I on like Zoolander. That we're on something, both of us. This this episode. Do you like Zoolander? I, I haven't seen Zoolander in years, but I did love Zoolander. It was fantastic. Ben Stiller is uh, hysterical. It's I mean, a national a, treasure. It's, it's not, what voice were you doing right there? Your grandmother. He's, ben Stiller is a national treasure. You know, my, my grandfather, is that what you said? Your, grand, no, your grandmother. My grandmother. I think I just muted you. Are you still there? Or eat your vegetables. <laughs> eat your broccoli. He's not as fun as his, I mean, his, his father, Jerry Stiller was, uh, is hysterical. And if you listen to his old Jerry Stiller's old radio recordings, old stand up stuff. Oh my goodness. Anyway, sorry. When you were a young boy and, oh, yeah. and he was on right. the radio exactly. and your family gathered around the radio mm-hmm. to listen. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're talking right. about? Exactly. Why don't you go ahead and just get us into the story of kids who can't read good. So the bottom line, this has nothing to do with children who can't read. This has to do with atheists trying to destroy Christmas. <laughs> Already. <laughs> it's only, it's only October. It's like early oh, October. You know, Look, every year the war on Christmas starts a little earlier. Last year it started even earlier. But we were talking about this last month. There were some stories. This right, one, for decades, these high schools, a series of high schools in the, in the Portland School District in Oregon, um, had performed at this this event. It was a festival of lights in Portland. And it's at, a, at this grotto. It's at a Catholic institution where they do this. But it's sort of like a community Christmas pageant where a lot of outside choirs come in and perform. Well, the atheists are not happy about this because it's at a Catholic organization. It's part of a Catholic group. So they have gone after the school district saying this is not okay. The school district, for fear of being sued, has said, you know what? We've done this for decades. We're no longer doing this anymore. They pulled out. And all those students who look forward to that Christmas tradition uh, can't do it. And what the Freedom From Religion Foundation said was that, quote, just because it's a tradition doesn't mean it's legal. Dun, dun, dun. I have a tradition of not beating atheists about the head and shoulders, right? But I'm about to end that tradition. Honestly, these, at the end of the day, this goes back to the Bible thing. It goes back to everything. The whole goal is to strip faith completely out. They don't want any mention of it. They would be happy if there was no faith at all. And so they take every opportunity they can to make sure it is not in any, it's not even coming near touching, breathing in the same space as the public square. They don't want it there. Are you a South Park fan? No, because I have class and I'm a Christian. But other than that, are you a South Park fan? <laughs> I am not. Do you know the Mr. Hanky, the Christmas Pooh episode? Yes. Okay. That's what. That's the whole theme. I mean, it, it was as though you were reading a South Park script. Like they have to take all the religions out of this Christmas program and can't call it a Christmas program. And at the end, it's all the kids are wearing like black leotards or gray leotards so that nobody's offensive. <laughs> and somebody happened to accidentally leave a star hanging above the stage, like just a, a like a paper cutout star. And there's just this whole fight and everything. So it's all about taking, you know, religion out of Christmas. And the funny thing is one of the most theologically correct points, anti 
PC points that has ever been made about Christmas was made in that Mr. Hanky the Christmas Poo episode because it goes to credits and then it blacks out and then it comes back on and it's Jesus because it, Jesus lives in South Park. You know this, right? Yes. Okay, so they have the Jesus characters. It's a sacrilegious and, okay, horribly offensive, I know. So he's sitting at this table by himself with this birthday cake going, happy birthday to me, happy birthday, by himself. <laughs> I'm like, bingo, they just nailed it. They nailed the whole thing. Well, that was really yeah, good. and they love to go on and on and on about how the Christians stole the holidays from them and the Christians hijacked this and that and that. Look, you can have a debate about the placement of Christmas. Okay, so if but they... you can't, we know Jesus existed. We know he was born. Right. We know he lived. And so it may not have been December 25th. And maybe, maybe that date was taken and used because it helped people move a little bit easier from, you know, right. the right. bizarre faiths they were practicing into Christianity. Fine. Right. But that has, uh, that doesn't mean we have to destroy right. a, a celebration that the vast majority of us <laughs> take part in. Look, we pay taxes. We are in the majority, so to say that that majority can't commemorate that holiday to me is sort of silly. Yeah. Again, in Dearborn, Michigan, there are holidays that are going to be commemorated, and they're not the same holidays that are going to be commemorated in other places due to demographics, yeah, yeah. and that's life. Yeah, that's life. Sorry. Yeah. All right. That said, oh, my daughter is banging on the door. <laughs> my one-year-old. No, so I have glass. You can't see this. I have glass. I have French doors separating these two French doors separating my office from the front room. And she's standing there at these windows, putting her face on the windows and staring at me and then licking the windows. Yeah. Yep. This sounds like your daughter, Chris. <laughs> oh, I don't know what's wrong with my kids. No, right. she actually sounds much smarter than you. <laughs> I don't lick windows. Tables. My, maybe. Kid, my kid forever licked windows. I don't know what, what it is about one year olds <laughs> licking windows. It's very weird. Okay. With all that said, any advice for the people? Because we got to go. Read your Hadith. Why is it Hadith? Why the Hadith? I don't know, because that's where there's a lot of fun things. All right. Know. Well, all right. Well, with that, read your Hadith, read the blaze, and oh, uh, Merry Christmas, all. <laughs> <laughs> we are a mess. Church Boys.